It's time to hit the road. Leave it all behind and wonder where this journey will take you. Hi, this is Christine. I'm on the Kingdom Expansion team. In July, Hosanna sent two teams from our heart ministry to New York City. The goal of heart ministry is to restore lives through ongoing prayer and sending teams locally and nationally to help with everything from disaster relief to minor home repairs. On these two trips, Heart partnered with LA Forces and the Movement Church to facilitate outreaches to communities experiencing poverty, homeless, and spiritual pain. Part of what we did was serving food, giving away household items, and playing games with children in the projects in the Bronx and in Brooklyn. Here are a few thoughts of where we met God on the road. So many incredible things that God showed me, but the one thing that stood out for me is that everyone that you walked by has something they're struggling with. And if we just choose to walk by them, we're going to miss out on opportunities that God presents in front of us. God showed me that I can spread seeds of hope and love by praying with His people, and it was just amazing. Well, good morning. Yes, we can clap for that. Well done. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hosanna. My name is Julia Holtz. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so glad to be with you. Special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Maybe you're on a road trip somewhere. We hope you're having fun, and we can't wait till you're back with us. And also a hello to my friends over the Shakopee campus. It is good to be with you. A big welcome to you. I am loving this road trip series and hearing the stories that are coming in. We're talking about the road trip of life that we take with God and how our lives are impacted by that. Now, I just went on a road trip about two weeks ago or so, and try not to be jealous of this, okay? About two weeks ago, I drove about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes up to St. John's University to be the chaperone for the Rosemount Marching Band Band Camp. Are you jealous? Let me tell you how this came about. So my youngest daughter, Petra, is going to be a senior at Rosemount, and she is the center snare of the drum line. I'm so proud of her. She's been on the marching band for about four years, and, and each year the chaperoning opportunity would come up, and, and I'd kind of look at it, and I'd, it wouldn't quite work with my schedule. Plus, I just got to be honest, I wanted to give my teenager her own space, you know, not have her mom hovering over her. But this year, we were about to head out to the first meeting of the marching band, and Petra just quietly said, you know, Mom, if you wanted to chaperone this year, you could. How many of you are parents of teenagers? Yeah, when your kid invites you to something, you jump on it fast. So within about 45 minutes, I had checked my calendar. I made sure I took the week off of, of, of work. I checked with the, the school. They did still need chaperones, and I jumped in and registered. I was full force. I thought this was a really good idea at that moment. About the week leading up to it, I began to find out more facts about it. And, and here were some of them. Number one, we'd be sleeping in dorms. The dorm doesn't have any air conditioning, by the way. Okay, that is just not something you want to tell a middle-aged woman. <laughs> we also would be sleeping on beds that just aren't very comfortable. But don't worry, because you really don't sleep much. Okay, that's not good for someone who loves their sleep. 
We also learned that we had to be up before the kids and go to bed after the kids. And, and so they would be starting with breakfast at 7, and then they'd be working at about 8.30 in the morning on artificial turf, go all day through the heat of the sun, and then be up at night and finally finish about 9.30, and then the party and the games would begin. Okay, so it was a long day in the heat. But, but here's the piece that put me over the edge. We get this piece of paper, and it says has bullet points of what we need to tell the girls at the beginning of the week and what we need to tell the guys at the beginning of the week. The very final bullet point on the guys said, please remind them to wear their deodorant. <laughs> I am thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> I, I've got a full life. I, I should have a vacation with some rest. What about a cabin and I float on a lake? What was I thinking? <laughs> See, God doesn't always work the way we think he wants us to, okay? Sometimes the road of life is a little bit harder. See, what I went on this trip with great trepidation, but we have been talking about on this road trip of life, there are three big things that happen. When we're on a road trip, our vision expands. We also learn about ourselves, and we draw closer to the people we're with. Knowing that, I need to tell you all those things happened to me, and I'm so glad I went. My vision expanded. These students inspired me. They worked so hard. You know, on this stage, some of my partners talk a lot about football. Can I just do a shout-out to the marching band students? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can clap for that. I gotta tell you, they worked so hard, I would put any athlete at a marching band. You'll be crying by Wednesday, I promise you. <laughs> they inspired me, but they also inspired me because they painted a picture for me. They came together and they worked in unity. They brought their gifts and their talents, and they were so dedicated. And you got to see this picture. This was created, I think, by Wednesday night. Absolutely took my breath away. Every student had an important place, and if one was missing, it wasn't complete. And I got a picture of the church. I thought, Lord, is this what you're asking the church to look like? That, that we come together dedicated, and we each have a place, and we bring our gifts and talents. God, what would you create through us if we did this. So my vision was expanded. I also learned a lot about myself. I, I was lugging coolers of cold ice water. I was pouring water. I was scooping ice cream. I was laying cold cloths across their heads. And I just have to tell you, by physically serving, there was something that happened in my soul. It just refreshed me and gave me life. I'm still recovering, but it was life-giving. <laughs> And then lastly, I did draw closer. I, I just loved these students. Here's a couple of them. I, I thought about being, asking to be transferred to the student ministries department because they're just amazing people. I'm not going to, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and I also drew closer to the other chaperones. I have dear friends that came out of that trip. See, road trips do something in us. But what I've learned from God, I thought that I needed a week at a cabin, and that's not bad. I still may do it sometime this summer, but God knew what I needed more, a week at a marching band camp. And see, this road trip with God is not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. And see, we can be tempted to choose the easier path, the one that brings us quick relief when things are hard, 
But see, God calls us to a higher road that brings life. I have a mentor who for years has said to me as I'm wrestling through decisions, and and she'll say, Julia, beware of the shortcut, the easy road that brings relief but damages your soul. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that. Beware of the easy, the shortcut that brings quick relief but ultimately damages your soul because God has a higher road for us to take. So what is the higher road? What does it look like? You know, deciding between band camp and a week at a cabin, you know, that's not really life-changing because we can really spend a week just about anywhere. But all day long, we're making decisions, and throughout our life, we make decisions. And sometimes we come to crossroads that are really hard. How do we know what the higher road looks like? What about questions like, I'm in a dead-end job, and do I stay here, God, or are you calling me somewhere else? Or our family feels complete, but I'm feeling the stirring. Do we adopt a child, or do we keep it as is? Students, do I stay with these friends even though they might not be good for me all the time? Or do I let them go and, and hope that I'll find new friends? Or what about this one? This is a tough one. Do I stay in this marriage? Or is it time to let it go? We make some very serious decisions in life and we come to crossroads. How do we know what God is calling us to? What is the higher road that leads us to life? I'm gonna share a story today of a woman who went on a road and she experienced life and she brought life. In fact, a life that is still impacting us today. And as I share her story with you, I'm not going to give you all the answers. These questions, these crossroads don't have easy answers. And so if you've come here for answers, I hope you don't leave frustrated. What I am going to give you as I tell you her story are three questions. Three questions you can ask as you're walking through life and you're trying to figure out the higher road with God. And these aren't just questions you ask yourself. They're questions you ask God. See, to find the higher road, it means we are engaged in a relationship with God. Do you know you can ask him questions? And he will answer. Sometimes immediately, sometimes you need to wrestle through, but he is faithful. He knows the higher road, and he is faithful to lead you along it. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to share today about a woman whose name was Ruth. She's found in the book of Ruth, creative, huh? She's in the Old Testament, Here's what I love about the book of Ruth. The Old Testament is full of stories of mighty people and leaders, incredible, like Abraham and Moses and David. And then it also is full of miracles, like things like the the parting of the Red Sea. And then there's this funny little book called Ruth. It's only four chapters. I encourage you to read it. But Ruth is a story about ordinary people, just like you and me. And it's a story where you don't find any miracles like parting of the Red Sea. But God is all over this story. He is working behind the scenes just like he is for you and me. So let me share with you the story of Ruth. And you can look if you have the Sanctuary Bibles. It's on page 160 to 162. But I also want to just encourage you to sit back and listen. 
For thousands of years, long before the Bible was printed, people would just tell the story and people would listen to it and let it impact their lives. So I hope it will today. So this is the story of Ruth. It begins in the little town of Bethlehem long before it ever became famous with Jesus. And there was a family living there. There was a man named Elimelech. Kind of fun to say. Everybody say Elimelech. Yeah. Elimelech. And he was married to a woman named Naomi. Elimelech and Naomi had two sons. And they were living well in Bethlehem when a crisis hit. A famine hit Bethlehem. And at that time, today we would call it an economic crisis or a recession. Some of you can already relate to this story. We've lived through a recession. And Elimelech and Naomi, as always, they were hit the hardest because sometimes it's the ordinary people that are hit the hardest. And they lose everything. They lose their their home. They lose their property. And so they take their sons and they head to Moab where there's more economic opportunity. They settle in Moab. The, The boys grow up there. They end up marrying two Moabite women, one whose name is Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and the other one who is Ruth. They're living fine when tragedy hits. First, Elimelech dies. They lose the father. And then 10 years later, the two sons die. We don't know how, but they both die around the same time. This is devastating. We now have three widows. Not only would they be grieving deeply the loss of the men, but they now would have lost their protection their provision, because this was a time when women were not even second-class citizens. They needed the men to take care of them. So we have three women that are absolutely destitute. The women, Naomi decides it's time to go back to Bethlehem. And so she begins to head back, and she takes her daughter-in-laws with her to Bethlehem, because this is her family, but she begins the road trip, and all of a sudden she stops, and she says, wait a minute, girls. <laughs> no, you can't come with me. This is a road that, that I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to lead to destitution. I don't even have a husband to help us. You need to go back to your parents' land. That's where you'll find a husband. That's where you'll have what you need. Go back. Don't come with me. Well, the daughters cling to their mother-in-law, and it's a tender moment where they're tearing up. And Orpah decides to listen to her mother-in-law. It makes perfect common sense. So with a tearful goodbye, she heads back to Moab. That's the place where she knew what to expect. She knew everything would be okay. But you could say she chose the easier path. Ruth, on the other hand, took the higher road. Listen to what Ruth said to her mother-in-law. It's a beautiful verse. Many of you may have heard this in weddings. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. See, Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, and the verb in there was that she loved her deeply. Ruth had experienced something with Naomi. She had experienced a love that she hadn't known before, but she also had experienced the God of Israel, Naomi's God. And it was different than any of the Moabite gods that she had ever experienced before. And once she tasted that, there was no turning back to the old, easier way. She had to go forward. Ruth had to go forward. She made sacrifice. She would not abandon her mother-in-law 
She chose the way of love, the way of love. We have a God of love who calls us to walk a road of love, that when we are at a crossroads, choose love. It is the higher road. This leads us to the first question we need to ask God when we are trying to figure out our road path. What does love look like? If you're taking notes, you can write that down. What does love look like? As we're trying to make decisions and we're at this crossroads, God, what does love look like in this situation? It's not an easy answer. That's why we have to engage with God in this relationship because he's the one who knows what love looks like. I'm in a small group right now with some women in my neighborhood and we are studying a book called Keep Your Love On. Great book. It's all about this. What does real love look like? And we sit back and we go, who knew that love could be so challenging? Sometimes it means saying the hard things to people. Sometimes it means keeping your mouth closed. Sometimes it means pressing into a relationship. Sometimes it means recognizing you're trying to control them and you have to step out of the way. Love looks unique to every situation, but we have a God of love who in our relationship fills us with his love and he shows us the way of love. That's the first question we ask when we're determining what the higher road is. What does love look like? Let's keep going on this story Ruth and Naomi head back to Bethlehem, and as they're getting there, people start to recognize Naomi. And they start going, is that Naomi? I love Naomi's response. She says this, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. (laughs) She says this, the Almighty God has turned my life into bitterness. I left here full, and I come back empty. See, Naomi's faith was rock bottom. She could not see in her circumstances the goodness of God. While she may have given up on God, God did not give up on her. You will hear how he is working behind the scenes to bring life and restoration to her. I wonder who needs to hear that today. Maybe somebody's circumstances are so hard and you have given up on the goodness of God. I need you to know God has not given up on you. He is working behind the scenes in your situation. He loves you and he will be faithful to you. So Naomi's at rock bottom and their situation is dire. See, not only are they widows, I said they were lowest class on the society's rung uh, ladder. But listen to this. Ruth was also a foreigner. And not just any kind of a foreigner, she was a Moabite woman which meant, number one, her skin would have been darker, so she would have stood out as a foreigner. But listen to this. Centuries earlier in the book of Numbers, there's a story of the Moabite women being accused of seducing the Israelite men, taking them away, and turning them to false gods. Somehow I do think the men had something to do with that, but (laughs) the Moabite women were accused of this, and they were banned from Israelite society. Okay, so you can see Ruth and Naomi, they have nothing. They have no money to buy back the property they had lost. They are widows, and now you have a foreigner and a despised foreigner on top of that. They needed help. They needed someone who would feel compassion, and fortunately, they have a God of compassion. So Ruth goes out the next morning, and she heads to a field 
to glean some, some of the harvest. See, one of the cool things about God is he had woven into the very fabric of Israelite society his compassion for the poor. There were laws that landowners were not allowed to gather all of their harvest. They had to leave some behind for the poor people. And so all over you would see people gleaning, poor people like Ruth, gleaning from the harvest. Well, Ruth goes out knowing this, and she just happens to go to the land of a man named Boaz, and Boaz just happens to be a relative of Naomi's. Do you see God working behind the scenes? Ruth begins to gather the harvest and old Boaz shows up and he begins to ask the men, so who is that out in the fields? And they say, oh, that's Ruth, the Moabite woman. Yeah, she married Naomi's son, but he died, so she's a widow. Now in that moment, Boaz had to make a decision. He was at a crossroads. Would he do which would have been common sense? Ooh, stay away from the Moabite women. That's not good for me. Not good for my reputation. Or would he show compassion? See, compassion is much more than a feeling. Compassion is a stirring where we see a need, but then we also reach out to try and help fill that need. Fortunately, Boaz did show compassion. He went to Ruth and he said, Ruth, you are welcome here. You, you, can, you can glean grain in any of my fields. You are welcome here. Follow the others. And Ruth, I will cover you so that no one will harass you. This was an incredible gift. And I, I love this verse. Boaz goes to eat and he says to Ruth, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the wine. Now a thousand years later, another man said, something about bread and wine and Boaz was projecting that. I'll tell you about that in a little while. But Boaz welcomed her and he showed compassion and care for her. And Boaz teaches us that on this higher road, the question we need to be asking God is, where is compassion needed? Where is compassion needed? That's the second question. Maybe you're in a job that just feels like a dead end. What if tomorrow morning you woke up and you said, God, where is compassion needed today? You might just find that the person in the cube next to you needs a friend. People of God are people of compassion who help those who are in need. We have a ministry here called HEART. You heard about it in the video. HEART stands for Hosanna Emergency Action Response Team. This is an amazing ministry that is just, just growing. It is a ministry that is full of stories of people who have taken the higher road. They've taken vacations, they've taken their weekends, and they go out and they do things like helping to restore and build buildings that have been torn down due to crisis. They, they pray for people, they bring food to people. I had a chance to connect with Sarah Rupp. Sarah just went on the New York trip this summer with Hart, and, and Sarah had been wanting to take a missions trip, but it just hadn't been right, and she began to feel this stirring. Now, it didn't make a lot of sense because she was also 12 weeks pregnant at the time, so it would have been a lot easier to just say, no, not now. 
but she followed the promptings. She went. I think we've got a picture we can put up of Sarah. You can see she was just helping to feed people. At one point, she played ball with a little boy and thought, what am I doing? And yet suddenly that boy's mother was able to go, who only spoke Spanish, and talk with people. And she could see God working behind the scenes to use her to help people. But Sarah said this. She said, spending a week listening for God's promptings helped me see the world and see people through his eyes. He wants to touch people everywhere, not just in New York. I do not have to be on a missions trip to let God lead me to talk to people, but it is this trip that taught me how to really listen for God's promptings in everyday life and to be more sensitive to the needs of those around me. There are people all around me that need a listening ear or encouragement that God is with them and for them. I feel like I am much more aware and likely to stop and talk to people who seem down. This heart trip impacted her. It expanded her vision. And she is now longing to bring compassion. And she's not the only one. I just want to encourage you. We have at both campuses a a group of the heart people out in the atriums today. Go and talk to them. I'm hearing that they have a trip to Texas this October. And they have spaces they need to fill. Maybe God's stirring in you. Be people of compassion. That's the higher road. We don't just think about ourselves. We look out at the needs in the world. We can't meet all of them. That's why it's so crucial to engage with God and say, God, where is compassion needed? And what is it you're calling me to do? That's the higher road. Okay, back to Ruth and Naomi. Ruth goes back to Naomi and shows her all the grain. They have more than what they need and and tells her about Boaz. And Naomi is thrilled Naomi says, Ruth, Boaz is our relative. In fact, he's our family redeemer. Again, God had built into the society a way for his people to care for and welcome people back into families. If if a man had died and there was debt and, and widows, the next person in line could pay the debt could marry that widow and welcome them back into the family. The Redeemer is the one who makes all things right. So, Naomi is excited about Boaz. Ruth continues to glean in the the harvest until the end of the harvest. And then Naomi looks at her and says, Ruth, it's time. It's time to find a permanent home for you. She was at that time saying, it's time to find you a husband because that was the only way at that time that women could really survive. But she says this, and check it out, it's a little scandalous. Naomi says, tonight Boaz will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I love the word of God. (laughs) There's so many funky little paragraphs that you got to just chew on a little bit. So this is what her mother-in-law tells Ruth to do. And, and Ruth goes and does what she does. And she watches Boaz. She waits for Boaz to go to sleep. And then she crawls in by his feet. About midnight, Boaz wakes up and he feels somebody. He goes, who is there? And this beautiful statement, Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. In that moment, she's saying, Boaz, Boaz, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Will you be? You are my redeemer. 
Will you help me? Boaz is so touched by what Ruth says. And he says, oh, you could have picked any young, better-looking man than me, but you chose me. Ruth, there is someone who is actually a closer relative who has first rights of refusal to redeeming your land. So I will take care of this. I'll go figure out what to do. Trust me. By tomorrow, I will have this all figured out. Now, Ruth, you go. Don't ruin your reputation. You're a noble woman. You go ahead, and I'll take care of everything. The next day, Boaz heads out to the city gates. This is where business is taken and and legal actions take place. And Boaz goes out there, and he tells the creditors who had taken the land and the property, I want to redeem that land. There is someone who's a closer relative who has first rights. Well, this man just happens to walk by. Can you see God in the circumstances? And Boaz says to him, I'd like to redeem the land, but you have first rights. Would you like to redeem it? The man looks at the the situation. He goes, yeah, this is a good investment. I want to add to my estate. Yeah, I'll buy it. Listen to what old Boaz says. He says, "Of, of course you can buy the land from Naomi, but it also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite woman, That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Oh, the man heard that and he went, oh, wait a minute. This could jeopardize my estate. Wait a minute. No, if that's what it all entails, I don't want that. See, the man took the the route that protected himself, that took care of his estate, that gave him a safe background. He took the easier road, but not Boaz. Boaz said, I will be the redeemer. I will be the one, because he knew love, he knew compassion, and he knew he could make a difference, and he knew he could redeem the family. That's the higher road. See, Boaz and Ruth, Boaz was Ruth's redeemer. She was who he needed. But Boaz and Ruth in their life point to someone else that is the ultimate redeemer. See, Boaz and Ruth, they did get married. They had a little boy named Obed. Obed was the grandfather of King David. And as many of you know, King David led down the line to Jesus. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you see Ruth and Boaz in his background. Their life, their example, their choices led to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the redeemer that all of us need. The third question that we need to ask at a crossroads is, who is your redeemer? Who is your redeemer? Do you know that you need a redeemer? Every one of us, male, female, black, white, foreigner, citizen, every one of us needs a redeemer. We come into this world and we're broken and and we choose paths that take us away from God the Father. And we have debt, spiritual debt from our sin. And things aren't right. But Jesus came. And he came to pay the debt, just like Boaz did for Ruth. And he came to welcome us back into the family, to forgive us and say, you are a child of God. Welcome into the family. And Jesus came to make all things right. Who is your redeemer? Maybe some of you here didn't even know you needed a redeemer, but you felt it. 
Maybe today's the day that you say like Ruth did, yes, you're my redeemer, Jesus. But maybe also in your day-to-day life, you need to be asking, okay, who is my redeemer in this situation? I have to tell you, I always practice what I preach. (laughs) And so all week, I would get into situations, maybe something was frustrating or something was hard, and I would start and go, okay, God, what does love look like right now? Show me what love looks like. God, where is compassion needed? And he would fill me with compassion. And then I would say, and who's my redeemer? (laughs) And nine times out of ten, I'd realize I was trying to be my own redeemer. I was trying to figure everything out. I was trying to fix things. And I'd step back and I'd go, oh, you are my redeemer, Jesus. I give you this situation. I will follow you. Redeem me. Lead me on the higher road that makes things right and that brings life. This is the higher road that God calls us to. Not the easy one, but the one that brings life. We thought it only made sense as I ended this story today that to give you the opportunity to take communion, to hear Jesus saying, just like Boaz did, come, you are welcome at this table. Come, take the bread and the wine. Shakopee, I'm gonna turn it over to my good friend, Pastor Tony, now. May you have a beautiful time at the dinner table with your Redeemer. May you enjoy that. We have a redeemer who came for us. He made sacrifice. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He knows your needs. And he's able to make things right. And he did it because on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my bread, this is my bread broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Later on that night, he took the cup and he lifted it and again he gave thanks and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. We're now going to say the words of confession and as you do, can you picture Ruth going to Boaz and choosing him, saying, I can't do it on my own, Boaz. I need you. I need a redeemer. That's what we are to bring to Jesus. So the words are on the screen. Let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Let us now pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Again, the words are on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In just a moment, there will be trays that will come down your row. Take the bread, and will you hold on to it, and we'll all take it together. And in the meantime, you will have um, some scripture and some questions, the questions I asked in the message. Sit and reflect on those questions and let your Redeemer speak to you. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Now again, in a few minutes, the, um, the trays will be passed down your row. 
and the outer cups with the red is the wine, and the grape juice is, is the white. So take a cup, and will you hold it? We'll worship together, and then we'll drink it together. Would you sing this with us? I hear the Savior say Thy strength in this war Trial the weakness march and pray Find in me thine all in Jesus paid
was on Jesus paid it all Oh Jesus paid it blood of Christ, your Redeemer, shed for you. Take and drink. It is now my privilege to bless you. Before I do that, I just want to to let you know that as always, our prayer ministers are up front and also in the back area. Maybe you are at a crossroads. Maybe it is hard to figure out what the higher road is. You don't have to do it alone. We do this together. We seek God together. So come for prayer and also remember the heart team that's out in the atrium. Just go talk to them. You'll be inspired and encouraged. Now receive this blessing. May the God, our Father, who is good and who loves you, may he shower his love on you this week. May Jesus continue to lead you in the way of love. And may the Holy Spirit fill you with compassion as you go out and meet the needs of others like our God calls us to. May you be blessed this week. I pray all that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next week for Road Trip.